This episode is brought to you by Dave, a banking app that's leveling the financial playing field. Because when you download Dave, you could get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account. Advance the money you need with no interest and then settle up later. Download Dave today at dave.com slash Spotify. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve, member FDIC. Instacart helps you get beer and wine delivered in as fast as an hour. So, whether you need to fill the cooler for tailgate season or fill your glass for Pinot by the fire season, you can save time by getting fall sips delivered in just a few clicks. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Must be 21 or over for alcohol delivery where available. Instacart. Add life to cart. I've been in dogs since 1991. We breed dogs that we want to train. I was up here in Western Nebraska riding Harleys and training dogs. I don't sugarcoat anything. And if you don't like it, tough. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Elliot, and this is the Flatlander Kennel Podcast with Chris Jobman. I'm the producer here, and we are bringing this to you. And I am with our host again today, Chris Jobman, owner-operator of Flatlander Kennels. How's it going, Chris? Good, man. How are you doing, Elliot? I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. Well, we're here to talk ducks, dogs, training, whatever you'd like to talk about. Harley, I'd love to talk about Harleys. Can we talk about Harleys? But yeah, That's uh, not a passion of mine, but you talk about it. Wow, whenever, gonna, maybe you'll get me into it. We are going to talk motorcycles So, <laughs> but at some point. But we're here to talk, talk ducks and dogs and everything in between and try to have some fun with it. Right, and a big goal of ours is we is we want to inform and have fun. Whether you're an amateur or a pro or just getting into it, um, we are here all things duck dogs for the from the HRC to the AKC to to hunting. We're we're here to just give you as much information as we can today. We're gonna Chris is gonna be talking. I have no idea what about this topic, so he's gonna be teaching me as we go. But it is now we're recording this in in February, and we are running up into. Um, spring test schedule, and Chris is just yeah, going to well, kind of hit us with what to do. Hunting season's uh, winding down for sure, so we're kind of getting cranked up right now. Um, we've had a number of dogs stay with us this winter that Ryan and Julie have been really doing a great job on. Um, I'm coming back to the kennel after my little semi-retirement break this winter hunting, and um, Andrew's coming back as well, and we're getting ready to get cranking. And um, we're actually um, getting ready to leave for our winter trip to Texas here at the end of the month. I leave like on the 28th and I'll be home after the grand um, at the end of April. So we're getting cranking here every day. We're getting ready to go south. Um, The snow is finally melting. It's been a horrible winter here for us. I know we needed the moisture, but next person I hear say that I'm going to punch him in the face. (laughs) Because the the snow was, there was a lot of snow this year for us, which we don't usually ever get. But, you know, we we, uh, we stayed after it all winter. Dogs got trained. It wasn't the greatest environment for the people outside, but they got it done, and, and we're ready to roll. So wh- why are, before we get into this preparing 
um, the dogs for the spring hunt test season. Why are hunt tests so important for a professional kennel, kennel like Flatlander Kennels? Well, and here's the thing about it is where, where we live in, in western Nebraska, it's much different than Arkansas. Now in Arkansas, there is a, a hunter, a duck hunter, and a dog behind every tree, right? And where we live in western Nebraska, it's not like that. For one, we don't have a ton of trees. And for two, we don't have a ton of people, which is just fine by me, be quite honest with you. So hunt tests are super important for us is because it it helps, you know, I'll, I will bet you 75% of my business is hunt test clients. And, but they all, they're all hunters too, but they're, they're hunt test clients. Because if we, if I tried to, to, to keep the lights on with just doing gun dogs, local gun dogs, I couldn't do it up here. And, and I'll be quite honest with you, man. I, I personally have to have a goal in mind. And so when we get a hunt test dog in, the goal is to make a grand hunter retriever champion, master hunter, MNH hall of fame dog. That, that is our goal. And so when we have that goal, that really pushes us to, to keep going and, and, and stuff like that. But the, you know, the hunt tests, it, it keeps our kennel full, be quite honest with you. And it gives us some, some, um, direction on where we're going because granted we got plenty of gun dogs and we do a great job with gun dogs. Julian Andrew do a great job with the gun dogs. Um, but I personally need, I'm goal driven and oriented. I need, I need to be pushed down a path. If I'm not pushed down a path, I'm on my Harley and I'll see you next at the end of the week. So I've got to have, I've got to have a end goal and a, and a job basically. And you don't, you're, we talked about this in episode one, but your goal is not to do the breeding. I had always kind of assumed that that's why professionals always did the hunt test because the, the farther up the ladder your dog goes as far as master or um, goes to the grand or whatever, then the pups cost more. But for you, I know that's not true because you don't put out that many, that many litters. So can you talk we, we a little don't. bit more? We don't. We only put out two or three a year, real high-end litters. Um, I do train for friends of mine that are breeders. So we, 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 you know, we push them that way to buy them puppies and we get to train them puppies and that sort of thing. So it works out great, but I'll be quite honest with you, man. I'm not a puppy guy. My wife loves them. I I am not a puppy person. I can't stand to be quite honest with you. They're pretty, they're cute and they're playful and all that stuff, but I'm not a baby guy either. So when those kids get to be five, six years old, can talk back and run around and run. I'm in on that. But as far as the puppies, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I like to train a dog. Now I like right. to watch the young dogs learn, but when they're eight, nine, 10 weeks old, I'm just not a puppy guy. I, so right. we don't do a ton of the breeding. Um, we do a f- limited breedings, but you know, they're usually fantastic. We're more of a trainer than anything. Yeah. And I will say message to your wife who loves the puppies. Tell her to quit scratching the bellies of the puppies, because once she does that and you get a hold of those puppies, that's all they want you to do. <laughs> I know. That's exactly right. <laughs> I saw, I, when we picked up Georgie, she she had Georgie arm. She goes, oh, I scratch her right here all the time. Well, now she's four, and that's all she wants is scratching. Oh, yeah. I think that whole litter is like that. Um, but Linda does uh, that. Georgie does that. Flash is in your pocket if you let him be. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and Red, we got Red in the kennel still. He's a great male. He he's the same way. It, it's the craziest thing. I that whole litter's like that. It's nuts. 
affectionate, affectionate dogs. They are super affectionate. Yeah, which we like that. But um, I took out Georgie recently, and I did a. I have. I don't train. Do any of my. I'm an amateur, obviously, but I don't do any formal trainings during hunting season at all. Her hunting is her hunting, and I took her out for the first one recently, and she seemed like she had regressed way more than what I I expected her to. So I know you guys are about ready to get into your preparation for um, the the spring hunt test. How much do dogs typically regress? They 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 regress. Well, it all depends. It depends on if, if you're okay. Like say you go out hunting with your dog and you've worked all summer on not cheating the bank, right? Mm -hmm. And running straight and taking the water. And if you're a guy that cares more about shooting birds as quickly as possible than the actual joy of the dog work, your dog is going to regress really quick because all you care about is is shooting the next bird, getting the bird back as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. So when that dog runs down that bank, you know, two or three birds in a row, you've literally just ruined six months of training. And you let them do it. I had that happen during dove season. She ran and I caught myself. I was like, I didn't stop her. I never would have let her get away with what she did in training. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and my dogs, my personal dogs and our client dogs that I hunt at our, at our club, I am telling you, I'm a stickler. If I want them, if I run a blind retrieve and I want them to split two decoys, we split those two decoys. I call them mm-hmm. back. If I, I may or may not give them a correction, but if I give a right angle, a 20 degree right angle, I want a 20 degree right angle. I, I, we work way, way too hard and spend way too much money to worry about the next bird or worry about because because let's let's face it in the grand scheme of things, your hunt test season is longer than your hunting season for most people, and and people get nervous and they don't want to be quote unquote embarrassed at a hunt test, and so if you if you're a guy that hunts with rules and makes them be steady and makes them be quiet and makes them take the angle cast and makes them fight the wind and not cheat the bank, you're going to be fine. If you're a guy that all he, you care about is pulling the trigger, then you're going to struggle. And I feel sorry for that dog because you let that dog get away with murder for three months. Now you're going to try to get it back into shape because you got to run a hunt test in March. So it's not great for dog. Hunting absolutely deteriorates training. It, it really right. does. And yeah. we try our hardest not to let that happen as much as we possibly can on our dogs that we have here. I'm trying to get better about it. Um, I Now, my big thing with her is on her whistle cast, on her blinds. Um, in her first couple seasons in training, she would she would perform well, but then I would get more refusals out hunting. Now, this last season, which is her third season hunting, she was a, a thousand times percent better on her blinds, yeah. but yeah. I, I shoot in small groups. It's like me and maybe one or two other, and we shoot them with their feet down. So we don't have lots of blind. Um, it's like, she's missing her reps. She did really well yeah. with it, but, and I'm, I was just surprised because when I took her out on the training day, she was worse on her blinds than she was during the hunts. And I was really, I was really, that's the first, that. that's the first thing that goes. The first thing that goes on these dogs is control. Um, whether it be steadiness or vocalization or blind retrieves. The first thing that goes is control. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, but where we live, and I'm, we hunt the North Platte River, I'll bet you 
70, 75% of what we pick up are blind retrieves almost because the water's moving. So the birds right. are moving and we run how we hunt our dogs in a dog pit next to our blinds. They can't break. They can't get out that, you know, they can pop their head out through the basket and look, but it's hard for them to mark technically quote unquote, mark the birds too. Cause we're on a little bit high bank and their birds are floating. Um, now flash and some of our dogs that we hunt and pearl them guys, they can mark out that basket really, really well. But typically a dog has to look for something floating in the river and they learn how to do that. Or you have to run a blind retrieve because it's not like hunting a rice field where they splash down in six inches of water, eight inches of water and just go get it laying there. It's a mm -hmm. little bit different where we hunt. So for most people, the control aspect of the dog usually really deteriorates big time. One thing I noticed that I was struggling with is that when I'm training or at a hunt test and we're doing blinds, I'm standing perfectly. I've got everything. I'm all squared up with my body language is all the same. And then at hunting, it's like whether you're hunting out of a boat or a layout boat, it's like I struggle to get into that. I've got a gun maybe slung over my back. I struggle to get myself in the same uh, body language order that we do during during a hunt test. And I wonder, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, how for I can sure. fix that. But. Well, and you're a guy that loves to shoot, pull the trigger and shoot stuff. And I love how you do it with feet down because I'm the same sort of way. But the biggest thing, you know, you're probably trying to get that bird as quickly as possible and get it back and, right. and get going. And you just you just have to be able to, like, you know, with our club, and we have a lot of members, you know, not a lot of members, but we got some members in our club. But when they first join the club, you know, we, we have to get out of the blind and send the dog. And, I mean, the North Platte River is tough stuff. Mm -hmm. And the members were like, get in, get in, get in. There's more there's birds coming. I'm like, I don't care. There there always be more birds coming. Relax. You know, we got to get the dogs are out. We got to get the birds picked up. And if you're rushed doing that, then all those habits come, you know, they start mouthing birds and they start taking bad lines and they whistle sits turn into be really loopy sits because you're more worried about picking the bird up as fast as possible because your buddies are like, here's more birds coming. Where if you hunt with people who appreciate the dog work and understand how much work it takes to get the dog doing what we want them to do, then they'll calm down on that whole deal. Our members are quite calm on that now. Especially I've yelled at them for trying to push me to get birds picked up. But Yeah, um, they know. Yeah, <laughs> the they alpha know. is. <laughs> they they know. But um, you know, the biggest thing is you just gotta be willing to pat you know, get out, take your time and send the dog and not worry about the next bird coming down the deal. Now and if, right. if, if that's if you're more worried about the, the birds, then all the more power to you because th those people keep me in business. So Yeah. I'm Do you think dogs are smart enough, and I think I probably know the answer to this, that they understand when they're hunting there's a different set of expectations than when they're yeah, training? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I, I, I've seen a lot of dogs, honestly, man, they get more jacked up at a hunt test than they do hunting. Yeah. They get they get way more jacked up at a hunt test than hunting. And I don't know, you know, because they don't have a collar. I always hunt my dogs with a collar and, and stuff, but and I keep them under control. But, man, I tell you what, a lot of dogs are way more excited about hunt tests then that, you know, then they are hunting because you, you know, you get them on the road and you get to the hotel and you get out and they see the Holiday Inn Express sign. They're like, oh boy, watch this shit. And, and, and they know exactly where they're going. I'm telling you, it is, is the craziest thing you've ever seen. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So as you guys are gearing up for, um, the whole spring hunt test, run us through, your thoughts, your philosophies, your order of business, how long does it take you to get them back to where they were from the year previous 
and then ex- extending into your goals for them for the year? You know, it, it, it varies from dog to dog. It, it, you know, I will talk about flash You know, he's kind of the star of the, of the kennel right now. He's, we've got a lot of great dogs in the kennel between the, you know, flash and both Mavericks and little Indy coming up and, and, and I'm going to leave some dogs out and I, please don't people that listen, don't get mad at me, but, um, we've got some real stars coming in the kennel right now that are going to be phenomenal and that already are, but flash is the star. He's, he's the big dog of the kennel and, and it doesn't take him long to get back in the swing of things because I don't let him get away with anything during hunting either. Right. So, and some of the more high powered dogs that go home and, you know, it's just, it's just typical, you know, the owner's, you know, don't want to be mean to them and then their buddies and, you know, they've been at, you know, they've been in training for six months and now they're finally home. And, and so they take them hunting and they do a great job for the first five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hunts, but their control starts dwindling. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then when we finally get them back into training, there are some dogs, man, I've had in my career, um, Deke was one of them. He was a great dog. I mean, a fantastic dog with a great owner. I mean, everything about him was great, but he was a lot. When I say a lot, scale of 1 to 10, he was a 12. Mm-hmm. And his owner did a great job of, of controlling that dog during hunting situations for him. But he's not us. So every year we got Deke back, it literally took me two months to get his head squared on and screwed on right where he'd take a cast into the wind and he wouldn't fade with the wind and he would not creep and not try to break. It took me two months for me to kind of quote unquote crack down on his control, which kind of put him in a little bit of a funk because he's like, now he's thinking, Oh man, I'm in trouble and this isn't fun. And he, we did it every year for years. And after two months, he was great, but it took me a while and it got better um, um, towards the end of his career because Tom, his owner, would, would understand what we needed for him to do. And Tom would, would, um, um, keep more control on him for me in the hunting season. So it wasn't quite so bad. But when, when I, when he first went home, his first one or two hunting seasons, it was really, really tough. It was really tough, but, um, you know, there's always a process, right? We, we get these dogs back. There's always a process to this thing. And everybody's like, how do you get your dogs ready for hunting? And, you know, after hunting season's over and you're getting ready for test season. What we like to do, and, and, and you got to be understand something. Most dogs during hunting season aren't in as physically good a shape as the test season because they're not mm-hmm. technically training every day, right? They're not in the heat and they're not all that stuff. So a lot of those, you know, you see a lot of dogs when they first come back from hunting season, there's a lot of injuries that happen to dogs when they first come back because people don't understand something. I don't run anymore. And even if I did run, let's just say the last time I ran was four months ago and I took off and sprinted to the mailbox. I would be laid up with a hamstring. Like somebody shot me with a gun. (laughs) And and that's the same thing. What happens to these dogs? They're not in the physical shape that they need to be in. So they, they go out on a training day instead of just running some nice singles, letting the dog warm up, you know, running some short ones, some medium ones, some longer ones, back down to short and just let them kind of get the, get the, knock the rust off with just singles and stuff. And some really simple, if your dog's running blind retrieves, you know, really simple cold blinds, 
nothing major with big, you know, big crosswinds or big swims or anything like that. Just some nice, simple things. And let your dog get back in the swing of things. And it takes them a month. I'll bet you it takes them a month to get back to mentally and physically ready to. How, how do you assess their, because I have problems with Georgie assessing whether she's in shape or not. I mean, I, I'm pretty good at knowing whether her weight is and whether I need to, you know, trim back a little bit, but I, I, I take her out. She seems to be breathing so hard every training session. How do you assess their, I think a lot there? of her, her probably breathing really hard probably comes from, she works herself up. Right. She's, it's more of an excited thing than a, like yeah. a, I'm a tired thing, but she also might run a little hot too. Um, where some dogs, the heat affects them more than others. But I'll tell you, we live on almost 4,000 feet of elevation. If you want to know if your dog's in shape or not, come and run a setup up here and they'll be sucking some serious wind big time. So, so if they're really exhausted, you'll start seeing them lay down, right? Oh yeah. You want to stop before you get to that point. Right. Yeah. Before you get to that point and, and you'll know their tongue will hang out and they get real, real wide and they won't be trying quite as hard. You just need mm -hmm. to stop before you get to that, especially this time of year, man, just let them dogs. Cause here's the thing, the dog's muscle tone isn't what it should be. And the endurance isn't what it should be. So if you send a, you start training dogs, they blow, they blow out knees, they pull muscles, they hurt their back. They hurt their elbows. I mean, they you you would be amazed, especially like if you're starting to say you want to go train in like a mucky, muddy area where it's real sticky mud. These dogs aren't in physical shape to do that yet. Mm -hmm. um, that and that's why you see a lot of the field trial guys train 12 months of the year. Well, usually they're running trials, but a lot of those dogs are training 12 months a year because it they have to be in such phys great physical shape to do those sort of things. Um, that's what they need to do. And now, now I'm not talking about running your dog on a treadmill every day for an hour and a half. I'm not talking about four wheeling it for five miles every morning and, and putting undue stress on a dog's joints or muscles or anything like that. Cause I know there's some people out there that like to put their dog on a treadmill for an hour and a half or an hour and just, and think they're training. That's not training. That's just busy work. But mm -hmm. I'm not saying doing that. I'm saying, let the dog go out and train the dog let it fight the factors, let it climb the hills, let it run the side hills, let it do all these things, fight the wind, and, and let it just get in physical shape on its own. If you want to do a little extra cardio or something, like let it run around with a four-wheeler for just a little bit, that's fine. But you got to understand something. These dogs also only have, they have a shelf life. They're just like, you know, there's only so many miles in their legs and body. And it's just like me and you and everybody else, you know, you can only run so much before stuff starts breaking. So when you first come back from your hunting season, you really need to be very careful of don't let your ego get in the way of what you're training and, and you're going to hurt your dog and just let just them kind of come back, especially they're going to get tired and they're, they're mentally not going to try as hard. Next thing you know, you're pushing the button on the e-collar and they're getting in trouble for something. It shouldn't even be a big deal because you pushed them too far, you know? Right. Yeah. So conditioning is the, is the first step. How much mental and physical, mental and physical conditioning. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep, it's got a high res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard, and I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook.
Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit Chevy.com to learn more. Because now they got to come back into training and there's all these rules that they mentally have to follow, right? There's all these rules. You got to be steady. You got to cast into the wind. So it's not only the physical conditioning, it's the mental conditioning to try to get them back in the swing of things. Because I know you're a teacher. So when you have your, you have your Christmas break and you go back to school January 4th or whatever it is, you're physically, you're mentally not ready for it either. Right. You know, so it's the same sort of thing. Are there things that, that you specifically do to try to work on that mental training? Or is it just that you kind of have a little more understanding if they're not performing up to what they would? Yeah, as a trainer, you've got to see when the dog is just struggling physically and mentally. And it's not like a disobedience thing, right? It's just the dog is just it's just not giving 100% effort because maybe it's tired. And maybe it's physically tired, mentally tired. Um, and that sort of thing. So you as a trainer have to recognize, Hey, the dog is giving me effort. It just can't, we've done too much. Let's just back Mm -hmm. off. And so what we like to do is, like I said, we do lots of easy singles and easy cold blinds and lots of like obedience. Like we put the holding blinds back up, you know, we come into the holding blind, like here to hunt test and we sit on a chair uh, on a stool and then we come out you know, walk to the line under control, you know, start all your, saw all your obedience stuff again. So the dog, you know, understands, Hey, we're back to work and, but don't overdo it in the field because once you start that stuff, you get them out of the trailer or truck and you put them in the holding blind and they, let's just say they creep out on in front of you. So you get onto them a little bit for creeping. Then you get onto them for trying to maybe break. And then you get onto them for a cash refusal under the wind. Now you have completely mentally, mentally fried that dog. So they're not quite in the in, in the swing of things, right? So you just go slow, and you just ease them into it again. Don't just go out there and hit the accelerator and go, woohoo, let's roll. It, just, it doesn't work that way. You know, I've had lots of conversations with you, um, several conversations with Freddie King and some other guys. And one thing that I'm realizing that is a big difference between amateurs and professionals is that I think a lot of times, and I and I'm do this some myself i'm seeing this is that when we have an idea okay here's what we're gonna do in the training today it's like going through the training without you professionals you are diagnosing things that us amateurs aren't you're watching the dog and reading the dog where i think us amateurs a lot of times it's like oh i did the first drill did second drill oh you did good you did bad you did bad i maybe give you a little correction but i think that the difference is you guys are tuned into those things like, oh, wow, mentally, I see they're just not in it. And it's like, it, it teaches me, like, watch the dog and be thinking more. Don't just, like, pass, fail. It's like really diagnose the dog, well, those types of, of things. Of course. I, I mean, here's, you know, the whole key to training, the whole key to training is be firm but fair and and understand when the dog is struggling and understand what's, why is it struggling. Don't, don't your emotions... And your ego should never come into play 
on the dog. You should be reading the dog. That's a whole thing. A great handler and a great trainer, they're not always the same thing. Some are handlers, some are trainers, some are both. But the great handler trainers can read a dog and react to the dog, what the dog is doing before it even does it, and understand why the dog is doing that, right? Instead of just saying, oh, he's just being a butthead today. Very seldom do they come out and say that, right? So something is happening, and there are some that are like that, but um, you have to read and react the dog. And in training, it's all timing. Everything about it's timing. Yeah. I think another big difference between your professional and your amateur is that amateurs, and when I say that, I'm putting myself right in there because that's what I am, is sometimes it's easy to get frustrated with a dog to what you want them to be able to do, but you have not put the steps in where it's reasonable how they're behaving based on what you've done as a trainer. I think we see it's like, well, this damn dog won't do this. Where it's like, no, you have not taken the steps to get your dog to that level. You should be mad at yourself, not your dog. Well, and that, that that's on, you know, if you listen to episode one, it's, it's, it's your ego, man. I mean, that's the whole thing. You go to these, these club training days and you're watching some of these dogs do this and you're getting tons of a terrible advice from 10 different members. And, and, um, so you try to, you know, your ego, well, instead of just running the, the, you know, the triple running as singles and maybe a, an easy blind at the middle, Everybody wants to run a triple, a diversion bird, and a, and a blind. Well, the dog just got done hunting. What are you doing? You, right. Well, that's what everybody else is doing. Who cares? Train the dog in front of you. Don't, and, and don't train somebody else. Train the dog in front of you, reading and react what the dog needs. And if you need to back up, back up. Because I'm going to mm-hmm. tell you, if you go too fast, too forward, you are in big trouble. But so just, you know, basically just train the dog in front of you and, and don't, I don't care what your buddy's doing. I don't care what the other club's doing. I don't care what, do what you think is right by the dog and and just train, read what the dog is telling you and train it. Yeah. And I don't know whether this was advice I got from you. I can't remember where I got it. But one thing I was doing is I was challenging Georgie too much. Well, she's doing great at this. Let's see if she can do this. So we'd be ending our sessions with fails because I'm just, and that's part ego too, or, or I don't know. But that that was causing me a lot of problems. Oh yeah, for sure. Because there, there, I, I can go on and on and on and on on about this. You know, here's the thing: you just train train your dog. Don't try to win the training session. Don't ever mm-hmm. try to win because there's always somebody better. And there's all no. And, and here's the thing: nobody cares. I, I, the only thing that we care about is if, like, say the dog is confused. And the amateur, and I've seen a ton of pros do this, is if the dog is confused, they, they just start pushing buttons and they get mad and they go out there mm-hmm. and then and it all goes to hell. It all right. goes to hell. Well, you should have stopped way before that, before you got frustrated and angry and it all, it all went out of control. You should have stopped way before that, checked your ego. You never would have had this problem. A good friend of mine, his whole philosophy in life is – don't make if it's not a problem don't make it a problem and there's a lot of truth to that you know it's it's don't make it a problem and and, and you won't have that problem so um that's his whole philosophy to his whole life <laughs> he'll listen ha, he'll like it have you ever found yourself through all of your years of this 
have you ever found yourself maybe emotionally not handling it properly, whether you're getting a little too angry? And if so, how did you learn to keep yourself in check and have the same temperament that you want to have? Well, it's funny because like like on the, the, the previous podcast, episode one, we talked about, hey, when you first start out training, you're you're actually really, really easy on them. You're light on them. And, and then you, you know, then they don't perform very well. Then you're under the pressure to perform. So then you're a little bit too hard on them and, and they're more robotic than you want, right? You don't want a robot. You want a, th- my big, huge philosophy. And I, and I talked about this in the episode one, and I, and I should have brought that up is I, I want to build our biggest thing at this kennel is I want a thinking dog. I want a dog that can think through trouble, get lost, figure it out. I want a dog that can think through their entire setup, their whole life. I don't want a robot. Now, when we run a blind retrieve, I blow the whistle, I tell you where to go. That's where I want you to go. But mm-hmm. you see a lot of these dogs that run these techni- big-ass technical blinds that we got, a lot of them will think their way through the blind. And if you just let them think and you, then you, they react, you react, and let them think, that's what we want. We want a thinking, thinking dog. And mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. And if you don't ever let them think, then you don't even know how good they can be because you, you, you're, you're such a control freak, not you, but people in general are such control freaks that they don't ever let the dog be a dog and let them think. And does that and, normally show up with overuse of an e-collar? Um, and or whistle and mm-hmm. or whistle recall and resend, you know, that sort of thing. There's a lot of things that you can do to make them really, really robotic and take take the – take their speed and want to out of it. You know, you can stop them, recall them, resend. You can hit them with a collar, every bad move they ever make instead of teaching them the right way to do it. You know, there's a lot of trainers out there that I'm a firm believer in. Let's teach them the right way to do it. And then there's other trainers out there that are like, they teach them what not to do. And and mm-hmm. what that means is if they do something wrong, they get onto them, recall them, do it again, do something wrong, recall them, do it again. I'm more of a, let's teach them the right way. And once they understand the right way, then if they mess it up, let's correct on that because they know better. Instead of, you know, teaching them what not to do, I want to teach them what to do, if that makes Hmm. sense. And how I'm I'm trying, I'm trying for that to make sense. And see, and I just, now I just rambled right there. And and, and so back to, back to your point is how do you check your ego and your emotions? And, and I used to get pretty upset when I was younger because I wanted to do well and I wanted the client to be happy and I wanted to perform well. And I, you know, I wanted to do all those things. And I guess patience comes with age and experience, to be quite honest with you. Um, you've been there, you've done that, you've seen it. It's going to be fine. Not a big deal. We'll get them tomorrow. That sort of thing. Now, trust me, I still get upset and, and that sort of thing, but very, very, very rarely do I let it affect what I'm doing in the field and, and the problem with some people in pros and amateurs alike, I've seen a lot of pros that have, let's just say they're running the master national or the grand and they've got 15 dogs to run. And let's just say that the, the third dog doesn't do very well. And the fourth dog doesn't do very well. They can't, they mentally can't um, come back from that. Mm-hmm. So their whole truck literally just gets ate up because the, the, the handler can't control their emotions and stop the bleeding. They, they take what dog number two did bad. Now dog number three did bad. They can't quit. They can't, you know, forget about dog two and three and go to four and do a great job on four five, six, seven, eight. They still thinking about dog two and three. Right. And, and so that just eats them up. 
And so I guess just, you know, I think a lot of the, the patients and stuff, there's just some people that are good with animals and they're patient. And there's just some people that aren't. And I'm right. way more patient with an animal than I am a person. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's funny. But, yeah. Now, with yeah. the trainer, you mentioned the, the the just the scenario that you talked about with the trainer getting off track. Do you think a lot of that is a body language issue? Because I'm learning that dogs pick up your every single little thing about your body language. Do you think a lot of that has to do with body language or impatience? I mean, the dog reading the handler? Right. So if the dog, too, let's say, fails and the handler is really frustrated – and dog three comes out and he's still in that frustrated mode where the dog's reading the body language and then reacting oh, to yeah. it they, or they read you. That's how dogs communicate is body language. That's how they totally 100% communicate. And, and if we have a barking dog outside and I go running outside and they're like, Oh boy, here he comes. We done it now. They know when I'm upset and they yeah. know when I'm happy. And, and dogs, if you've had a bad day at work, and you're not in a good place, dogs go 100% read that. You know what? Just take the night off, buddy, and just do it again tomorrow because nothing good is going to come out of that. Um, I've gotten frustrated to the point. It happened ha hasn't happened in a long time, but I got so frustrated a few times training. I got to the point where I was halfway through the string of my dogs. I said, you know what, guys? I'm done for the day. Yeah. I, I, I'm done. I'm just, I'm just going to make mistake after mistake after mistake. Tomorrow will be a better day. I, you know, whether it be – the chaos of my life overtook me or the dogs aren't just doing a very good job that day or I had a terrible setup design, just something, something was not right. And I just said, you know what? I'm done. I'm I'm done for the day. I'm they're like, what? I'm like, I'm done. Cause, I, cause anything from here on out isn't going to be good. And they don't deserve that for one. And for two, I don't want to fix it. And yeah. once you screw something up, you spend a week or two fixing stuff. When, when, with want there you know once again it's not a problem if it's not a problem don't let it be a problem so you know stop stop while you're ahead it, do you have any hot button issue with dogs like what is the most annoying thing like, that a dog can do to get it um you? i i can't stand barking I, yeah. I can't believe you haven't heard our corgis on this podcast yet but i can't stand barking mm -hmm. um and it's just there's no reason to it unless they go to the bathroom or something i can't stand it but in the field um one of my biggest issues and i and i've said this um in my in a bunch of my seminars that i've done and i always and everybody that's been to my seminar can tell you this i always say if you don't have sit you don't have shit mm -hmm. and when i blow a whistle i want that dog to sit down if you watch like our dogs run in the hunt test, our dogs sit immediately. Mm -hmm. And that is one of my biggest sticklers is, is a, if the dog's got to sit down when I blow that whistle. These big loopy sits, you can't run a good blind, especially when you get to the national levels of stuff. You can't run a good blind, and you're going to fail almost all of them because your dog won't sit down. That's one of my, honestly, that's one of my, my biggest pet peeves. My other one is a dog who... When they get mentally stressed, and this is a very hard one to figure out um, for a lot of people, when a, but when a dog gets mentally stressed, there are some dogs that just quit marking and they just run dead straight. That is their, mm -hmm. that is their out. They just want to run dead straight and not mark. You can throw a 50-yard mark, and if they're super stressed out, they just run 300 yards dead straight. And mm -hmm. and that's that's a very hard one to deal with because – 
then you get frustrated and nine times out of 10, the person doesn't realize what's happening and you add more pressure to the situation and then the dog runs even faster or even more straight when honestly you should back off the pressure, make it easy, make it happy, make the dog be happy again, make it more comfortable, more confident, and then you don't have that problem. But usually people are like, I'm going to fix that with pressure. Well, no, you're not. You're going to make it worse. Yeah. So that's one of my biggest pet peeves is, is that when a dog does that, but when they do that, I don't even get into them. I don't even get on them. I don't, I don't, I just have the helper help. Hey, 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 and let the dog work itself out. And, and usually it works itself out in the, in the wash. If you add pressure to that situation, you just threw gas on a huge fire and it's going to be even worse. Right. But, um, but, and then my biggest, one of my biggest things ever is, is my, my wife will tell you this. My kids will tell you this. My employees will tell you this is I cannot stand lack of effort. It, it drives me insane. And if I'm out there giving a hundred percent, they better be given a hundred percent. And I know that's not how dogs think, but I can't stand lack of effort. You know, it's just like the, the five-star college athlete, college football player that went to practice and he just gives up because he's not the big dog on the campus no more. Mm -hmm. When in all reality, they have all the talent in the world. They just don't want to give me effort. And, and lack of effort just drives me insane. Because now, you can know, you describe what an example of how you would uh, what you would identify as lack of um, effort? Like they're just not running lack, as fast as normal? or No, it has nothing to do with speed. It just has everything to do with effort. Um, let's just say like you're running a, a blinder tree, right? And it's a, it's a crosswind blinder tree. It's right to left crosswind. And you know your dog can hold that wind and run a straight line. And it just starts fading with the wind. And, and, and now I'm not talking about a young seasoned dog that doesn't know any better. I'm talking about a grand level, master national level dog. That dog just starts fading left. And you've taught that. So that you stop that dog and you cast into the wind and it goes four or five feet and just dives with the wind again. They're not, they're not putting the effort in to fight that factor. Mm -hmm. right they're not putting the effort in to fight that factor or if you're running marks and you know that dog is out there and it's and it's hunting for a bird and it just pops like i don't know where it's at help me out you know you see that a lot coming out of the hunt season because a lot of times people don't let their dogs hunt for their birds they want to handle their dog put their dog on the bird get so they can get the bird back as fast as possible right, right? so they can shoot the next bird well, in reality, you should let that dog hunt for the bird. So now when, they, now when you come back after hunting season, dogs are popping on marks and, and you know, they want, they're looking for direction. And, and after a while, I get that at the beginning of the year. I, get, I understand that. But two or three months into this thing, when a dog is hunting for a mark and it just stops and gives up, like, I, I don't right. know where it's at. It must have moved. That drives right. me insane. And, and, and go back to the pressure thing. Pressure usually doesn't fix that stuff. Usually, usually it can, but it usually doesn't. But there's a lot of different ways to um, lack of effort. I mean, I, I've seen dogs that don't even want to look at the marks. They're mm -hmm. like, I'm not feeling it today. And that's just put me back in the trailer. I'm done. And I and assume those, that some personalities are just more prone to have off days like that. Yeah, for sure. They're just like human beings. They're just, you know, some dogs, you know, like the flashes of the world. They get out of the trailer every day and give 110% on everything right. they do. And there's other ones that just don't. And yeah. as a, as a trainer, you got to understand they're not human beings and you can't really impose your will on them. Right. You've right. got to pull the choke, pump the gas, figure out what makes that dog tick. That dog isn't Georgie and that dog mm -hmm. isn't flash. So let's, let's 
figure out what makes that dog tick and give us effort with the least amount of pressure as possible. Yeah, I think I'm more blessed with Georgie than I ever even realized. I've never had a dog like a Flatlander Kennels dog. I've never had a dog that it was you would consider with really good breeding. And she just doesn't have off days. I mean, no. every time she does something wrong, I always, I'm pretty sure it's me. And I, but it's like her attitude, her desire, her will to do what I want is always the same. And you know the strange thing about her so far People have always told me, you get in these hunt tests, you know, the dogs will point, will perform about 60% in hunt tests. She seems to be better with more pressure. Like, those environments, she seems better than when we train and no one's around. It just, well, it's, blown, it's just blown my mind. Get, give it time, it'll go away. <laughs> it'll, I'll see those days. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting ready to run finish and master, so it's a little different. It's all going to get harder but she she is an ex i watched videos of her she is unbelievably talented that whole litter that whole litter was like that it, it, right. it's insanity honestly but um and we got some really good ones you know georgie's gonna be four we have red we have red her brother's here um he's a super nice dog he's an hrch match hunter with a master national pass he went out in the fourth series i think of this last grand and um, that was his first grand he just matured a little bit slower. Friend of ours got her sister Linda, who's phenomenal, um, you know. And that whole litter turned out great. And we have a bunch of younger ones coming up that the Mavericks of the world, or the Indies of the world, and the Louis, and, and and a lot of really young dogs like you know the Nova. You know, Nova's a, a real young dog. That's one of our puppies that's coming up. That's going to be fantastic. And um, Granger, the Grangers of the world. Granger is Nova's brother who was a ticket Dakota breeding we had. And they're, they're just now turning um, two not too long ago. And they're, they're phenomenal young dogs. So we have a, our young dog program is really good. Um, and we're, we're super excited about some of these young stars that we've got coming up in the kennel right now, because I tell you, if the owners stay at it, the sky is a limit. And, and I would have, I honestly, with Georgie, like with Georgie, I would if, in the right hands, I have zero doubt she could be a Grand Hunter Retriever champion M and H. Right. Yeah. Zero doubt. Yeah. I you know, this hunt test thing, I started it because I wanted to prove to myself. Well, you said something to me a long time ago when we had talked about kind of partnering together. You're like, Well, what, how do I know that you're gonna get this dog and you're not gonna have any idea what you're gonna do? The dog's gonna be, you know, and I basically ruined the dog and, and so my goal is like I I'm not gonna let that happen. I'm gonna prove to myself and to Chris that I can do at least an adequate job enough to be respectable. Oh, and you, you've done a great job with her. I have, I, I can't tell you how many people have called me and say, Hey, I watched, I listened to Elliot's podcast. And I saw his YouTube videos and that Georgie dog is unbelievable. I mean, that's, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I, I've had that call. Well, I appreciate hearing that. Um, once this is the first off season. So I got through season last year and she, she titled in season and now it's like, I didn't know how much I'd like it. As we get closer to it, I'm really getting excited. Like, I really, it's really fun. Oh, it it's, really, it's a really whole fun. other hunting season almost, you know? Yeah. Just, it's just a lot of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster for sure. And guys, that you're listening, we're going to go through all this. We're going to have a time where we just talk about the HRC, AKC. We're going to geek out on all of this stuff. Because one, one thing I struggled to get caught up on is like, what even is this? And and how do I act as a handler? Which was a huge learning curve. It's just like, what is expected of me? And we're just going to geek out on this stuff 
over a bunch of these episodes. So, and, and again, we've got um, a Facebook group called the Flatlander Kennel Podcast with Chris Jobin. Go over there and join. Ask questions. Uh, get into the conversation. What kind of content do you want from us? What do you want to hear from Chris? And make sure and give us a rating yeah. as well. Yeah, Is there anything good. else? And, you know, here's the thing. This is, you know, there's not a lot of dog trainers that are doing this podcast. So I'm kind of excited about doing it. And um, this is everybody else's podcast. I mean, it could be the Chris Jobman podcast. I get it. But this is everybody else's podcast. So if you guys want to hear something, hear about something, we will do our best to to bring this up on the podcast. Because it gives it, let's just face it, it just gives us content. And we need really good content. And, and we don't know what the heartbeat of the world is. Because I'm I'm stuck here in Western Nebraska riding Harleys and training dogs. I don't really care what anybody else is doing. So if you guys want to hear about, you know, how to do this or how to de-cheat or how to, how to do this, just just ask a question on the Facebook page, and I'll do everything in my power to answer that right. And and there might be some videos down the road. I mean, you, this is good. We'll see where this leads, but I think this could be a really good um, resource for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I do too. We have partnered up on this, but like Chris said, we're gonna whatever direction you guys want us to take this is the direction we're yeah. gonna go. So get over and, there. And trust me, I hope everybody group. has their has their big boy pants on because I don't hold back punches. And I don't sugarcoat anything. So if you want an answer to your question, I'm going to give you the answer. And if you don't like it, tough. That's just, that's the answer. I'm not, I mean, we're all grown adults, most of us. I'm really not. But um, <laughs> but you're going to get, you're going to get the answer. So it may not be what you want to hear, but that's what you're going to get. Well, is there anything else that you want to cover before we sign off on this thing? And. Not really. I think the biggest thing right now is, is when people listen to this podcast in March, they're going to be starting their hunt test season and they're starting to train a lot and, and everything like that. Here's the thing guys out there and, and ladies is, is be fair to the dogs. Use your head. Um, think about what's going on before you react. Um, why is a dog doing that before you react and, and just use your head and take it easier on the dogs right now, especially when the, it's starting to get warm down South right now. Um, heat's a major deal, but, um, just, you know, use your head, let the dog get out of hunting season, let it build its mental toughness and its conditioning again, and then just, just get after it. Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been episode two. Be ready. We're going to have, a episode out about every other week so be ready for them as they come all right guys thanks for joining us and uh thank you elliot i'll see everybody at the line and take dead aim